0: looking at it in the old testament looking at one of the characters of the old testament looking at nehemiah you know i've done whenever i've done bible classes in the past most of the time when we do a bible class we do something that is a series whether it be a book or a series of lessons and so I do a, a what i call a one-off class sometimes to me is probably my least favorite thing because when i look through all the things i've done i have a lot of series of lessons and so This is one that wasn't actually a Bible class, but I'm making it one for one this evening. Uh, So we'll be looking at uh, the Old Testament character of Nehemiah. And I'm sure whenever you talk about any character, there's always things that you probably could talk about that we don't think about until we get into it or think about until later. And so no way is this going to be everything that we could possibly say about the character of Nehemiah. In way of introduction to Nehemiah, and really to the book of Nehemiah, I have here that there seems to be little doubt of the connection of the books of Nehemiah and the book of Ezra. In fact, the earliest form of the Hebrew canon, both books were actually one book. And also, as we have here, both of them were simply called the book of Ezra. And then later, here we go. Lovely formatting. Later, they were divided and called the first book of Ezra and then the second book of Ezra. And then finally, I don't know why that is off. This must have changed my formatting. And again, later, approximately approximately the end of the 4th century, the second book of Ezra was called Nehemiah. And so it wasn't always simply called Ezra and Nehemiah. That's the idea there. And I do apologize for that being off. I checked that this afternoon. But anyway, getting to know Nehemiah. The name Nehemiah means consoled, by Jehovah. You know, whenever I do, whenever I go through and do different Bible studies, and I, I, do, I do one every week or try to anyway on Facebook, and I like to look at the meanings behind names and meaning behind the names of the cities and things like that. Sometimes they're very interesting. Sometimes the meaning of names are very unfortunate. Sometimes the meaning of names seems to match up pretty well. And here with Nehemiah, his name means consoled by Jehovah. Um, Nehemiah 1 in verse 6 as we're get getting this in a second as we think about getting to know Nehemiah Nehemiah 1 and verse 6 tells us how Nehemiah prayed for others mm-hmm. and himself and that he cared about God's people Nehemiah 1 in verse 6 says let thine ear now be attentive and thy eyes open that thou mayest hearken unto the prayer of thy servant which I pray before thee at this time day and night for the children of Israel thy servants While I confess the sin to the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee, yea, I, my father's house, have sinned. And so we see that he is praying for, as we really see here, really everybody, right? He says that you may hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray to thee at this time, uh, day and night, for the children of Israel, thy servants. So he prayed for others and he prayed for himself. Why? Because he cared about people. Now we find in the New Testament we are to pray for all people. I think it's I believe it's there Paul speaking to Timothy, he says uh, we should pray for, uh, for leaders and, and men of, of all of office, and I'm paraphrasing here, but we're to pray to, for all people of the earth, no matter what position they hold, if they even hold a position in, in government, whatever it may be, and those types of things are good and pleasing in the sight of God. Now, as we get into looking at Nehemiah himself uh, specifically, there, there are really four key things I want to point out. We're going to look at, look at Nehemiah as a leader and some things that he did, and then we're also going to look at some things that Nehemiah did not do. So I think it's important when we look at people that, and look at leaders and Bible characters we see what they did and the things that which they did not do as well, because I think it's just as important to notice the things that people do and the things that people stayed away from. And so first, we want to notice how Nehemiah, Nehemiah as a leader, how he agonized. If you look at Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 6, and this is from the American Standard there, but in Nehemiah chapter 1, beginning there in verse 4, the Bible says, "...and it came to pass, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days, and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven." And said, I beseech thee, O Jehovah, the God of heaven, the great and terrible God, that keepeth covenant and loving kindness with them that love Him and keep His commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive, and thy and thy eyes open, that thou mayest hearken to the prayer of the servants of thy servant, which I pray Thee at this t- at this time, day and night for the children of Israel. While I confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against Thee, yea, I and my father's house have sinned. Now, we think about this. When Nehemiah saw the condition of God's people in bondage, and how her city reportedly was in ruins, he was greatly saddened. If you look at Nehemiah chapter one, and you look at what he sees, you see that he is very distressed. Now, there is one verse that probably sticks out in Nehemiah, I think probably more than anything else, and it has to do with the idea of service. Does anybody have any idea what I'm talking about? I'm being very vague. But have you ever heard the phrase, for the people had a mind to work? That comes from Nehemiah. And it's talking about them building the wall. And he said they did all these things where the people had a mind to work. And it's from the book of Nehemiah. Today, can we be complacent while seeing the struggles of the church around us and seeing the various things going on? Notice, if you will, they're going back to verse 4 in Nehemiah chapter 1. He says, when he heard these words, and let's just open up our Bibles here. Not all Nehemiah is going to be on our screen, obviously. Let's go to Nehemiah chapter 1, and let's go back and put this a little bit more in context here. When you try to do something quickly, that's when things move slowly. Nehemiah chapter one. And let's look at. We look at verse um, verse two, says, At Hanai, one of the brethren, came came with me from Judah and asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And it said to me, "The survivors who are left from the captivity in the, in the province are are there in great, discre- in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and the gates are burned with fire. So what we find here is there is a time to start rebuilding, and the people yet had not yet began to, to rebuild. And we know as we look at Hose- look at Nehemiah chapter one, not Hosea, Nehemiah chapter one verses four through six, that he looks upon the state." of jerusalem and the walls around the city and the bible says there in verse in verse one Jesus when i heard these words and that's the words of verse three which is that uh he heard about the uh the survivors who are left in the captivity in the province there are in great distress and reproach that's one thing the wall of jerusalem is also broken down there's there's two things and the gates are burned with fire there's your third one and so because of what he had heard there in verse three that's what he says what he does in verse four And I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. He was in distress. And what was one of the key things that he did in verse 4? Now, I know I get preaching sometimes, but I'm going to ask you a question. Now, what was one of the things he did in verse 1 that we can do today in times of distress? Pray, right? And prayer to me, in my judgment, is probably one of the easiest things we can do, but also one of the things I think oftentimes is overlooked. When things go bad, do we automatically think pray, or do we automatically think panic, call everybody we know, oh, and then later on pray? Because if you look at verse <clears throat> verse 4 here, the Bible says, He sat down and he wept after he heard what was said. He mourned certain days. He fasted, and he prayed before the God of heaven. So he wept, he mourned, he fasted, which was something that was done many times when people fasted, or people mourned, they fasted. And then he prayed to God. And so I think you say all of verse 4 is all about responding to what was happening and then going to God in prayer. The, you must say the emotional reaction there. Then in verse 5, the Bible says, he says there in verse 5, And I said, I beseech thee, O Jehovah, The God of heaven. So, this is his prayer. The great and terrible God. The great and terrible God. You ever thought about why he would use those words to describe God? The great and terrible God. You know, when I read this, I'm thinking about how in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 20, Jeremiah is my favorite character in the Old Testament, and chapter 20 is probably my favorite chapter. But in that chapter, he talks about, about verse 9 or so, about 9 and following, how the Lord is with him like a mighty my, like a mighty awesome one. I think verse 10 to 11 following deals with that. In the King James, it says like a, like a mighty terrible one. In the New King James, it says like a mighty awesome one, which seems to be a conflict a little bit, right? But it's really not. If you look at verse 5, it says here a the great and terrible one. Not the great terrible one, but the great and terrible ones. They'll do two different characteristics, right? Who does God appear to as being great? Yes. Yeah, majestic uh, is actually, if you go back to the Hebrew and you were to um, take that word terrible, which is translated, it would be majestic, our great and majestic God, Mm -hmm. which means, you know, (coughs) everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what they mean to us now is not what they meant then. Yeah. They have an older dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> so the great and terrible God is a reference to God being Bill saying that majestic or awesome. And I've I've always thought about it different ways, and I'm saying this is the correct way to always think about it: is that to the faithful, God seems great; to the terrible, God seems like somebody you don't to mess around with. But like Brother Bill was pointing out there, the terms always mean what we think about today because terms today can mean a lot of things, right? But the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and loving kindness with them that love him and keep His commandments. So he goes to God and talks about how great he is, how he keeps his word, verb, his word there in verse 5 and verse 6. He asks him to listen to his prayer. So this is an example of him agonizing about the current state of things that he was seeing going on with that in mind think about this for a second when's the last time you you sat down and you thought about the state of the brotherhood as a whole i don't mean just a singular congregation but the state of the brotherhood as a whole across the world are there congregations that are hurting that's a rhetorical question i think because the answer to that is yes they're hurting for different reasons right maybe because of a lack of leadership maybe because Uh, of of lack of of funds to do what they would like to do they're hurting spiritually for various different reasons and so not that the brotherhood is is hurting as a whole every single place but when you think about the brotherhood are there things that we should be praying about when nehemiah heard what was going on it wasn't something he said well that's too bad and went on his way it actually upset him when you hear individuals or you hear a congregation struggling, you know, it's tempting sometimes to go off and talk about those things, and sometimes we may have to, but do we ever actually sit down and get really upset about what's going on? Not because we're mad at those individuals, but we're mad that we're, that we're upset that we're seeing that a congregation is hurting for whatever reason. You know, when we think about that idea of praying for all people, it includes not just those of our number, not just the leadership, but it doesn't include those of other congregations. Do you ever pray for the membership of another congregation? Well, when I say membership, I mean everybody, including their leaders. If we're not careful sometimes when we pray, we keep our box pretty small. If we're not careful, right? Us, those who we know, those who are hurting and, you know, our number, it doesn't really get much bigger than that. But shouldn't we be praying for a lot more people than that? 'Cause the Brotherhood is a very big place. And what's interesting is when you think about this, the the problems we face in our own country are not that different in other places as far as Christians go. You know, I've been I've been asked a question here and I've been asked the exact same question in Fiji about you the know, same exact question, which tells me the problems of mankind are not that different. You know, Paul talks about there in Corinthians how no temptations overtaking you, such as common demand, which means the things you have endured, they're not new, they're not earth shattering. You ever hear someone say, well, no one knows what I'm going through. Yes, they do. You may not feel like that because you're hurting so much, but other people have been where you are, right? Can you imagine looking at the city and seeing how basically it's in ruins, the gates have been burned, and nobody has started to do anything. <clears throat> let's think about it this way. If the building was destroyed, how fast would you want to come back and try to rebuild it so we could come back and be together? How long would it take us to start moving in that direction? I think it's part of the things we see here with Nehemiah. But let's keep moving. There's being talked about agonized all night long uh nehemiah analyzed if you look at nehemiah chapter one the very next verse in verse seven he says here we have dealt very corruptly against thee that have not kept the commandments nor the statutes nor the ordinances which thou which thou commandest thy servant moses and so when we think about this and Nehemiah here is is analyzing don't we see that nehemiah is determined to find the source of their problems You ever ask when when bad things happen? Sometimes there's no we don't really understand, but sometimes bad things happen. And I, I saw this on internet, so it has to be true, right? Yeah. It has to be really someone actually had to really put this on a sign somewhere. But a picture was posted with the idea of this being posted on a sign that said, "Sometimes bad things happen because what? Because you make dumb make dumb choices. Sometimes bad thing things happen because." We sin against God, right? I mean, you think, isn't it, shouldn't it be natural that when we sin against God, bad things do happen? We upset people, we hurt God first and foremost, we upset people, those near to us, those around us. Isn't it true that sin doesn't just sometimes affect us as individuals, it affects others as well? It's kind of like a disease it spreads, and before you know, it affects this person, this person, this person, this organization, this group over here. And so we look here at Nehemiah 1 to verse 7. He says, we have dealt, notice he says we, not just, not me, not just, not you. He says, we, we have dealt very corruptly against thee, and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the ordinances, which thou can thy servant Moses. He uses three different terms to say that we haven't been doing what we're supposed to be doing. Sometimes we see congregations who are suffering, who are being looked at very closely because they're not doing what they should be doing. You know, it was time for these individuals, you might say, to to stop maybe complaining about the situation and start making things right, right? We know that he used, as we look at Nehemiah 1 and verse 3, maybe, well, anyway, Nehemiah uh, 1 and verse 3, we know he used a broken piece of the wall later. I think it's Nehemiah 1, maybe maybe Nehemiah 2. They used a broken piece of the wall to rebuild and to remove their reproach. But he first, before he did anything, he agonized over the current situation. You might say he was honest about it then he analyzes saying okay what can we do to fix this problem i want you to ask yourself a question you ever have someone come to you and say i feel like god isn't listening i can't tell you how many times i've heard people say that to me and now most of times it's because they're going through some big event in their life or maybe one they think they perceive as big and they're hurting they don't know how to, don't know how to handle it <coughs> But other times I think I remind people saying, you know, if you feel like God isn't listening first of all that's not true secondly if you feel like God isn't attending to your prayer I think we have to stop and think okay what am I doing that's not right what am I doing that could be keeping something that could be keeping me away from God right because we know from Isaiah 59 and verse 2 that sin separates us from God right and so what was happening with these people? Well, no doubt, they were what? Being separated from God, at least you might say for a time here, because he admits here in verse 7, they haven't kept what? Anything. The gates have been burned, the walls are destroyed. Then what they need to do, they need to repent. And physically, and I think we also say in a spiritual sense, start rebuilding, right? Think about this for a second as we get to our next point. Can it be possible, or is it possible that at some point in our lives that sin enters in, we decide we need to turn from it, which we obviously do, and we analyze our lives, and then we do what? Do we decide to make a change? Do we decide to start doing things differently? I think in Nehemiah that's what we find, isn't it? They ag- he agonizes over the current situation. He analyzes what the problem is, and he does what? He starts taking steps to correct where they are, to take them from where they are to where they ought to be, right? How many times have you sing the song, Just As I Am? Think about that for a second. Does God take us just as we are, or does God take us from where we are and bring us to where we ought to be because it's not biblical to say that God will accept us just as I am it is biblical to say that God will take us from where we are just as we are to take us where we ought to be right and that's what Nehemiah is pointing out isn't it taking them from where they are to where they ought to be he agonizes over their sin he acknowledges their sin verse 7 and then we find he organizes we find here in Hosea, not Hosea I keep saying Hosea. I've been teaching on Saturdays. <laughs> Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. Uh, we find here that he removed any barriers that prevent them from rebuilding. He received help from others in rebuilding. Nehemiah 2, 7 and 8. Moreover, I said to the king, if it please the king, let letters be given me to the governors beyond the river that we may let pass, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. Now, let her unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to, to make beams for the gates of the castle, which, uh, which, appertaineth, uh, which appertaineth to the house, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall enter into. And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. So, was he saying? That God was with me, and what happened to these individuals gave me, gave me the, the right to go out to obtain the things which I needed. To do what? To rebuild you think it's possible that as they were rebuilding the wall and doing all these other rebuilding things that came with the rebuilding of the wall, do you think they themselves in a spiritual sense were being renewed as well? I think so. Sin is something that tears us down, isn't it? And Nehemiah, with the wall being torn down, I think it's figurative of what sin does to us. It tears us down. So what do we do? We, we, we mourn over our sin. We have that godly sorrow. We go to God and we confess those things to him as we just saw a moment ago. He says quite plenty. We haven't been keeping any of these things. And what happens? He starts to rebuild. We do the same thing every time when we turn from our sin and we determine to do what is right. We do what? We rebuild what was broken down in a spiritual sense, right? And so we find here that he was one who organized we find he gives glory to God for the aid that he received from others. Nehemiah 8, the latter part of verse 8, he said, according to the good hand of my God upon me. I wonder when the last time some, someone in Nehemiah's situation in that area gave the glory to God for what was happening. Could have been a very long time. We also find that he, that he, sure, he made sure he was prepared by surveying the work that was to be done. Nehemiah 2 in verse 15, he says, Then I went up into the night, in the night by the brook, and viewed, viewed the wall. And I turned back and enter by the valley gate, and so returned. So you wanted to be prepared. You went up and you saw all the things that need to be done. And when's the last time, I want to keep applying this to our own lives, that we have stopped and examined our own lives and seen things that need to be done? You know, doesn't the Apostle Paul tell us to examine ourselves daily, whether you are in the faith I think it's what Nehemiah is talking about here, and I think, well, I think we can apply it in a spiritual sense anyway. That he is seeing the state of it, and what needs to be done. When's the last time we looked at our lives and thought about what needs to be done? He says he viewed the wall and turned back and shut by the valley gate and so returned. You know, many good works have failed to get off the ground because of a lack of preparation, a lack of organization. We also can say, I think, that sometimes we fail to fully turn to God because we're not actually prepared to do so. You know, we talk about sometimes counting the costs when we're talking to someone who's considering becoming a Christian. Yeah, I think we have to count the costs in our life more than just at that particular time, don't we? When we decide that we have sin in our life, we need to correct it. Don't we need to count the costs and realize what's going to take for us to actually rid that out and to make ourselves right with God? We find next that he he didn't only agonize, he didn't only analyze, he didn't only organize, he also supervised. Nehemiah chapter 5 and verse 16. Nehemiah was involved in the work himself. Not only did he he wasn't just someone who stood by. He says, Yea, also I continue in the work of this wall, neither bought neither bought we any land, and all my servants were gathered thither unto the work. What did he do? He worked on a wall. His servants that he had, he says there, they all gathered together to what? To work. It's easy to stand back to point. It's a lot harder to grab the hammer and go in there and, and work and point and supervise in hell to actually get involved, right? And that's what Nehemiah was doing. He was involved in the work. If you back up to chapter 4, we also find that he was an encourager to the work. Nehemiah 4 and verse 14. Says, every night looked and rose up and said to the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, "Be not ye afraid of them; that is, those who are going to be opposed to them. Remember the Lord who is great and terrible. Fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses." If you look at Nehemiah as he goes through this, when they actually start building the wall, people actually start attacking them. People actually tried to get them to stop building the wall. The only day they physically attacked them, they mocked them as well, right? They're saying, you'll never get done. But they built the wall anyway. Yes. It, it is, it's, yeah, and, and like Jake was saying, there's a portion there, and I didn't look this up beforehand, where Nehemiah talks about having a weapon in one hand and a tool. 17. Nehemiah four seventeen. thank you. Uh, and if you think about that, how encouraging, first of all, that's, that's crazy thing about you're working and you're kind of keeping your head up at the same time, right? And how many times would people today, maybe us if we're not careful, would say, you know what, that's just too dangerous, I'm not doing that. If I had to have a tool in one hand and weapon in the other, that's just crazy. We're not doing that. But if you look there in Nehemiah chapter four, and go back and look there, like he was, like Jake went out there, verse seventeen, those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other hand held a weapon. Can you imagine going down the street and seeing construction workers working? And one of them has has a tool in one hand, they have a handgun in the other. That'd be kind of crazy, right? But that's what they were doing there. A sword in one hand and construction tools in the other. Which shows you one, I think by and far, it shows you their determination. And that also you can say that they were not afraid. They were not afraid to do what needed to be done. Now we're gonna look next Anything we want to, any other comments we want to make before we move on from Nehemiah as a leader? We're going to look at next some things he did not do. But any comments? Yes. Yeah, well, that, yeah. I mean, that's a good example. Of, you know, if if he just said, "Hey, you don't do this," and left them alone to it, but he actually got there and got his, you know, got his hands dirty. Mm-hmm. And you know, to me, that that's a good quality of a leader. Yeah, yeah. It's always encouraging when you see individuals who work with you, not just barking orders, so to speak. And and to your point, there's nothing more discouraging than someone trying to do something who has no idea they're talking about. Uh, you know, I've witnessed that sometimes if I, if I realize I'm the person that doesn't know what we're talking about, if i find someone else who does. But we want to make sure that we are trying to do our very best to be an encourager in whatever work we're, we're in and we're talking about. Okay, Nehemiah, some things he did not do. Nehemiah did not compromise with those on the outside. If you look at Nehemiah chapter 6, Nehemiah chapter 6, and I know this all didn't fit on the screen there very well. But Nehemiah chapter 6, uh, verses 2 through 9, says here, And Zimbalat and, and Geshem sent it to me, saying, Come, let us meet together in one of the villages in, in the plain of Ono, where they thought to do me mischief. And I sent messengers unto them, saying, I am doing a great work, so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? And they sent unto me four times after this sword, and I answered them after the same manner. Then sent uh, Simbalat his servant unto me in like manner the the fifth time with an open letter in his hand, wherein was written, It is reported among the nations in in Gashmu, saith that thou and, and the Jews think to rebel, for which cause thou art building the wall, and thou wouldest be their king according to these words." and thou hast also appointed prophets to preach of thee at Jerusalem saying "This is, this. is uh, there is a king in Judah and now shall, shall it be reported to the king according to these words come now therefore and let us take counsel together so what they're saying they're making accusations against him right they're saying you're trying to do this trying to do this trying to do this and people are saying there's a king in Judah look what he says in verse 8 then I ascended to them saying there are no such things done as thou sayest today we'd say that's Fake news, right? <laughs> there is no such things done as thou sayest, but thou feignest them out of thy own heart. Means you create them out of your own heart, out of your own imagination. You're just making stuff up. For th- for they all would would have made made us afraid, saying their hands be weakened from the work that it be that it be not done. But now God, str- but now O God, strengthen thou my hands. So what is happening? He's not allowing those who are trying to distract them, those who are, who are saying things about them, those who are gossiping, those who are just saying flat-out lies. He says there in verse, uh, verse 8, But thou feignest them out of thy own heart. All those types of things, he says, that they didn't stop us. He says, For they all would have made us afraid. They were trying to make us afraid, make us scared to get us to stop doing what we're doing. Saying their hands shall be weakened from the work, that it be not done. I mean, they're going to get tired, they're going to give out, they're going to stop. They're not going to build the wall. How easy is it to get discouraged if someone keeps telling you, you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't do that. I'll give you an example. Years ago, back in 2015, is when we started Bobway Media. And one of the guys I previously worked with told me, he said, nobody's going to listen to that. He's just a little bit bitter. He said, nobody's going to listen to that. And now, I mean, it didn't take for it to be, this doesn't mean to sound arrogant, but it didn't take very long before we eclipsed his listeners. In fact, we had more listeners in a week than he had all month. I don't say that to be arrogant. What I'm saying is he was wrong. He was trying to tell us you can't do that. People are always going to try, there's always going to be someone who's going to say you can't do that. That's not going to work. Things like that, people say things like that all the time, but it doesn't mean they're right. Sometimes we have to stop listening to people just chirping our ear and saying negative things, right? Because there are those who are trying to encourage you, and there are those who are just are negative all the time. And we cannot allow them to to discourage us. Sorry, Carter, I'm going to need more time than that. Um, next Nehemiah did not, did not, I should say, did not allow people to break their promise to God. There's a typo for you. He did not allow people to break their promise uh, to God. Nehemiah chapter five and verse 13. Nehemiah did all he could to solve any problems of those who might grow weary. He says there in verse 13, "Also I shook out my lap and said, "So God shake out every man from his house and from his labor that performeth not his promise." those are pretty strong words he's saying let god deal with you if you're not to keep your promise concerning making the promise to come and work He said, even thus be he shaken out and emptied and all the assembly said amen and praised jehovah and the people did according to this promise he said if you decide not to keep your word let god deal with you basically i'm going to paraphrase a little bit there and if we find here verse 13 what did the people say they agreed the bible says And the assembly said, amen, and they did what? They praised Jehovah. They agreed, and then they praised God. Because why? No one had in their mind of going back on their word. They were going to get to work and honor the promise, you might say the vow they had made to God. Next we notice that Nehemiah did not allow uh, himself to abandon his promise to God either. Going back to Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 6, he says, So he built the wall, and all the people was joined together into half the height thereof, for the people had a mind to work. He wasn't going to do what? He wasn't going to stop. He says the people had a mind to work. Did he have a mind to work? Absolutely. And we find here in verse 6, if you look in context of chapter 4, what he's talking about is how fast the wall was going up. So he built the wall, and the wall was joined together into half the height thereof. Not just half the height in one portion, but all, ra- all around the city, the, the wall is already halfway up. Do you remember when I said people were trying to, to deter them? He says in chapter 4, it is what? Height, half the height thereof. In chapter 6, if you go back there, not chapter 6. Um, yes, yeah, chapter 6, verse uh, 2 through 9 is when the people actually started to come out against him there and to try to get him to stop. But the wall is already halfway up at that point, isn't it? It's probably more than that now. they are saying you're going to get tired, you're going to give out. But Nehemiah mentions all the way back here in chapter 4 and verse 6 that the wall was joined together into half the height thereof. And he says why the people had a mind to work. I think it's fitting that Nehemiah also had that same mind to work. And when we have a mind to work, we can do incredible things. All right, some thoughts to carry with us. Nehemiah was greatly saddened by the state of the people and the walls of the city. We should be saddened when we see the state of some congregations today. I'm not saying every congregation is in a sad state, but there are some that are in a sad state. And we need to pray for those congregations. We need to pray for their members and pray for their leaders. I'm convinced and when we really stop and think about things in our life, things in their brotherhood, there's no wonder why the Apostle Paul said pray without ceasing, because you literally could pray all the time. Because there's so many things to pray about. We think about our own lives, think about those we care about, those we love, those who are hurting physically, And then we think about on a larger scale. We think about the brotherhood as a whole. We think about our government. We think about the world in in its entirety and the things going on in so many places. There are so many things we should be praying about. We should be concerned about the church today. We should be concerned about other people today. It will not change overnight. It will not change on the shoulders of only a few. But we must be those who do our very best to pray for people all the time. Nehemiah saw the state of the people there and he got to work and we must as well. Nehemiah was determined to restore what needed to be restored. In their situation, it was a wall. It was turning back to God. Remember going back to chapter one, he points out how they haven't kept the laws of God, the commandments and the statutes thereof. He says, we need to do what? We need to restore the wall physically and spiritually, we need to restore what? Go back to keeping God's laws, God's commandments, and God's statutes, right? Last one. We must not allow others to deter us from doing good works. We must not allow others to deter us. There are plenty of things out there that can be negative, but we don't have to listen to any of them. Any comments or questions before we close this evening?